BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. My name is Maddie Murphy, and I am your host, Happy Monday. Happy bad Monday. Happy Harry Potter's birthday, I'm pretty sure. Is that today, the 31st? I think it is because my older brother has the same birthday. I think the same year that Harry Potter was born. 1980. Is that when he's? I don't know. I should fact check that before I say that. Whatever. I hope you're having a great day. (laughs) I'm full of rage today, of course. I saw Oppenheimer and I saw Barbie and we're going to spend a lot of time getting into my thoughts on both movies. But before we do that, I thought I would talk about the one and only Akatar. I have been bullied into reading this series. For those of you that are not familiar with the acronym of Akatar, it stands for A Court of Thorns and Roses. And it is the wildly, wildly popular fantasy series by Sarah J. Mass, I think is how you say it. I've heard it both ways. But in the audiobook version, they say Mass, and I assume that she greenlit that. So I'm going to go with Mass. But SJM is a prolific author and world builder. And you guys, I know a lot of you guys are fans of these her series. And Meg, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, I guess maybe months ago now at this point, but she is a huge fan. And so last year, she she told me, she bullied me into reading the first book, which is the book that's called A Court of Thorns and Roses. So I read that book and I I liked it. Like I for sure didn't hate it. You guys know I'm not a big reader. So it wasn't like, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't super invested in it. I was like, I got to get through this. So Meg is still my friend. <laughs> but anyway, I read the first one and she was like, you got to read the second one. And I was like, eh, nah, I don't really, whatever. I don't, it's not really on my radar. But then a couple weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to give this a shot because I'm seeing more and more about it. I know a lot of you guys are huge fans. And so I read the second book, which is called A Court of Mist and Fury. I'm going to try to do this spoiler free, by the way, but I do want to give you, I'll do a whole episode on it if you guys want to, or I'll do it on the Patreon. I don't know. Yeah. So then I started A Court of Mist and Fury and it was great. It, it was really good. Like I very, very much enjoyed it. I really like the characters. I really like the good chapters, if you know what I mean. There is some spice throughout the book. Man, they really make you wait for it in that that second book, though. Holy cow, 55 chapters in. I mean, I guess a lot of people say that like there's like a chapter, I think it's 42, where people like it. But like, I mean, you really don't get the good stuff. 
until 55 chapters in, it was it was a it was a wait. They basically had 50 plus chapters of literary foreplay for you to get through before, you know, they let you have it. But whatever. It was great. And now I'm on the third book, which is called A Court of Wings and Ruin, which is such a tongue twister. Wings and Ruin. And I love it. I think I am liking this third book more than I liked the second book. Maybe because I, I'm not trying to sound stupid, but like I, I genuinely think I'm a better reader now because I just, I, I don't read a lot. And so once I read uh, like the second book, I did kind of a hybrid model. I listened to some on audio and then I would get, I would go to the book. Like if I was at home or something, just sitting on the couch, I didn't want to listen to the audiobook. So yeah, I feel like I'm a better reader now. <laughs> I'm better at paying attention. And I just, I really like it. I'm fully sold. I'm trying to not let it become my entire personality. But between Akatar and preparing for the Eras tour next week and Barbie, like I just, I am, I have feminine rage pumping through my veins at any given moment. So yeah, especially, okay, the the really insufferable part about me right now is being both a Taylor Swift fan fan and an Akatar fan because there are so many there's all these you know love stories in Akatar and there's all these twisted you know relationship dynamics and all those things there's a Taylor Swift song for every single one and yes somebody did send me there's literally an uh, an Akatar Taylor Swift playlist with an accompanying accompanying spreadsheet and I do have it and I have looked at it and it's great so yeah it's it's I I don't think anybody likes talking to me right now unless you are equally invested in both of those things, but I will try to keep that to a minimum on the podcast and on social media. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm into it again. I will do an episode in depth with my, with my thoughts and feelings. I feel like I should probably reread the first two books because I read the first book and then I waited like a full year before reading the second book. So I feel like I had to like refresh my memory on the world and the magic and all the creatures and characters and everything. And so that was like kind of an annoying thing to do in the second book when they had all already covered it in the first book. I just forgot about it. So I want to reread it. But I mean, it feels annoying to read the, fir- the first book because I like where the characters are now. And I don't want to have to reread like, you know, when they were when they were with with other people. The girls that get it, get it. <laughs> but anyway, so there's my those are my my very brief Akatar thoughts. So, yeah. I saw Barbie and I saw Oppenheimer. I did not see them in the same day. I I would have. I don't know why I didn't. I think I tried to, but like theaters, like times weren't lining up and theaters were sold out and whatever. But let's talk about Oppenheimer first. I, okay, so like last week I texted Lucy and I said, I think I'm more excited for Oppenheimer than I am for Barbie. And the reason I said that was because I was trying to keep my expectations really low for Barbie because the last thing I wanted to do was to be, disappointed. Like I was really worried about being disappointed. I didn't think that that was going to happen with Oppenheimer. I thought that if I had super high expectations that they would absolutely be met. And I kind of had (laughs) the opposite experience. Like I was like, Oppenheimer is going to be perfect. Everything about it's going to be perfect because I love Christopher Nolan and I, I, you know, and I love every single one of his movies so much. It's going to be perfect. Oppenheimer was great. I really did like it. Oh, before I should say this before we, because like I'm going to talk about these these things in depth, for sure spoilers in this whole episode for both movies, Oppenheimer and Barbie. So come back after you've seen them. But yeah, so with Oppenheimer, my my expectations were super high, and don't get me wrong, it was great. But I gave it like an eight. I didn't give it a ten. 
I'll tell you the main reason I didn't give it a 10 is because it's too damn long. It is. It is so hard for me to give a 10 to a three hour movie. Like, I think probably the longest movies that I've seen that I were actually 10s, probably Interstellar is up there. I'm sure I think that's a long movie. I don't know if it exceeds three hours. Uh, the Lord of the Rings. Like, I, I think all three of those movies are perfect. Those are also the extended editions, like four and a half hours. Like, I, I love those movies. So I'm not saying it can't be done, but it just it has to be really good for me to thoroughly enjoy every single minute of a three hour movie. Another thing that I loved about Oppenheimer, of course, is Killian Murphy. He's perfect. He's he's incredible in Peaky Blinders. He's in like every Christopher Nolan movie in one way or another. But I have always loved him. I think he's great. And like I put this on my story, but like people on TikTok are like so happy Killian Murphy's getting the recognition that he deserves. It's like he has been an A-list actor for almost 20 years. Like he's not being discovered. Like maybe this is his first like big, huge leading role. I don't know like in a movie, but he's been in like really popular movies and TV shows for like a really long time. So when people act like he's like this undiscovered indie star, it's like very confusing to me. But anyway, back to the movie. The cast was unbelievable. It was like the most stacked cast in the history of maybe ever. Let's talk about Florence Pugh for a minute. The most perfect person to ever exist. Everybody on TikTok is like, oh my gosh, there's a 20 minute extended scene of Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy having sex and they're both nude and it's full frontal. Like, it's not. First of all, there are two topless scenes of Florence Pugh. One is probably a minute and a half. The next one is probably three and a half minutes. Like, people really got my hopes up. I thought that I was going to get some serious. <laughs> so far in this episode, I kind of sound like a perv, but whatever. You guys are thinking it too. But yeah, everybody was saying that. And when I saw it, I was like, uh, oh, that was that was it. It really wasn't that crazy. I like didn't go see it with my parents because of that. Like we got tickets and I texted my mom and I was like, hey, do you guys want to go? And then I text her right after. And I was like, on second thought, there's like an extended sex scene. Like, I don't know if I can see it with you. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I don't want to go if that's in there. And then I saw it and I was like, that was not that bad. That was genuinely not that bad. So anyway, also a lot of people said it was like, really gruesome and it was a horror movie and I get that the topic at hand is like horror but it wasn't bloody or anything like that it wasn't gruesome like I thought it was going to be so anyway love Christopher Nolan heart eyes heart eyes heart eyes I love Interstellar The Prestige The Dark Knight Memento Dark Knight Rises Inception every single movie I I love it this one was just not a 10 for me, mainly because of the length. I think they could have easily shaved off like 45 minutes. No, nah, maybe not 45, 30. Let's say 20 to 30 minutes could have been taken off. But the cast was amazing. So Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt was probably my favorite person in the movie. I love, like, I love female representation like that in movies because obviously Kitty Oppenheimer, she was like this really complicated character. She's kind of dark. And I love that that was like a, a main point. Like her kids are always crying when they're around her. Like they're always crying and it's like it's so annoying <laughs> like at first I was like okay do they need to add crying kids but I think it was kind of trying to convey that she was not like the typical housewife like she she maybe didn't even like being home she maybe didn't even like having kids like she was this really kind of hard woman and I liked that I liked when people show that especially in like the 40s and 50s when it was like not fine to be that way and I think the other thing that I liked so much about it, well, obviously the topic is super heavy. It's super complex. I am in no way even close to like educated enough to discuss the intricacies of 
the ato- the dropping of the atomic bomb. But I I will say I liked that they showed how how complicated the decision was to do because you learn about this when you're a kid, right? You learn about Pearl Harbor, you learn about, you know, dropping the A bomb and, you know, it ended the war and, you know, all these things and you just think like I think the way that we're taught history as kids in America is that like you really don't think that America has ever done anything wrong. And I think a lot of people carry that into adulthood and they love America and they're super patriotic and they're team USA and they're, you know, America's cool. America's hot. I mean, it's like right there at the top. Like that's their vibe on America. And I think it is important to also hold the idea that you can love where you live and you can appreciate the freedoms that we enjoy and all of that. And also be able to say, well, maybe America has made mistakes and continues to make mistakes and will probably make mistakes in the future. Maybe other countries have something valuable to learn. Maybe other countries are doing things a little bit better than us. Maybe like when I would leave the country, I would always ask people about like what they thought about America. And almost all the time they would be like, well, you guys just like really love America. Like you wear your flags around, like your t-shirts have your flag on it. You have swimsuits and shorts and everything. Like everybody hangs a flag. Like that just doesn't typically happen in other countries. Not saying it doesn't happen at all. I'm just saying I get where they're coming from. Like we really hammer home the American flag. So I just think it's good to be able to say, hey, maybe we have done some things wrong. Maybe things were more complicated. Maybe it wasn't a completely easy or like morally sound decision to drop the atomic bomb. But you don't really learn that when you're growing up. So the movie, I think, was did a great job of being like, hey, this was really, you know, kind of gruesome and horrific that we did this. Another thing that I thought was interesting that they talked about a lot in the movie is obviously a lot of it focuses around communism, you know, because people were accusing Oppenheimer of being a communist because he had dabbled in some, what did they call it? Just like communist theory and rhetoric or whatever. And his wife was an ex-communist and his mistress was a communist. Anyway, it is kind of crazy just how how scared everybody was of communism then. Like, is it the red? Is it the red scare? I don't want to say that if that's not what it is, but it's just you don't really realize it because like now on the Internet, like you go on Tumblr and there's like 12 year olds talking about communism. <laughs> like, like you don't realize how terrified people were, but it was like a full on crime. Like you could get charged with treason if you talked about communism, which is just a it's just a crazy thought. But yeah, I thought the whole cast was amazing. Robert Downey Jr. Like I was with somebody and they like halfway through the movie, they were like, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. Like he was pretty seamless in it. He was really great. I feel like he'll probably win an Oscar. I don't know. What do I know about any of that stuff? But I feel like he probably will. Same with Killian Murphy. But yeah, I, I do think that the women kind of stole the show. I think that Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt were really kind of the stars of, of the movie. And the other thing with Christopher Nolan movies, you know, it's going to look unbelievable. Like, you know, that every single shot is going to be insane. And that's how Oppenheimer was. It was loud. Also, I will say I was like, we could turn it down and also turn some subtitles on. Why don't they do that in movie theaters yet? I want like an option to have subtitles on. Maybe that exists and I don't know about it, but I would really love if they started doing that. I I don't understand people who don't watch movies with subtitles, because if you're not watching movies with subtitles, just start turning them on and you will experience the thrill of not understanding what somebody says in a movie and then turning on subtitles and getting more information about the movie that you didn't even have because you didn't know what they were saying. Like that is an, and Christopher Nolan movies, basically all of them need subtitles. Tenet needed a subtitle or subtitles so badly. I think I heard maybe 18 words in that entire movie. Tenet, uh, again, didn't include it in the Christopher Nolan movies that I love because Tenet's my least favorite by far. 
Like it is the bottom of the list of all Christopher Nolan movies. Anyway, yeah, so Oppenheimer was loud. Maybe my theater was off. I don't know, but really could have used some uh, some earplugs and subtitles. But where was I going with that? Uh, anyway, Christopher Nolan, always visually stunning. Just everything about it is perfect. I could have done with 20 minutes less. That's my Oppenheimer take. Do with that what you will. Let me know what you guys thought about the movie. I haven't talked to anybody who just didn't like it. Like, it's a pretty easy crowd pleaser when Christopher Nolan's going to do a biopic. I have seen things going around on TikTok that people think he's going to do a JFK movie, which I texted my brother and I was like, Christopher Nolan does a JFK movie. I'm going to poop my pants because that would be the coolest thing ever. But people are thinking that because he said, like, in Tenet, he had a character say Oppenheimer. And then that was his next movie. And then in Oppenheimer, somebody said JFK. So they're thinking, like, they're thinking he's leaving little Easter eggs. Very Taylor Swift of him. Very Sarah J. Mass of him. So maybe we're going to get some other biopic, which I think would be unbelievable. But yeah, let me know what you guys thought about Oppenheimer. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Where are all of my business ladies and gentlemen? Because whether you're just starting out or you're already in the thick of running your business, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Squarespace makes it super easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience and also sell anything from products to content to time all in one place, all on your terms. You can upload, organize, and access all of your content from one place. They have a new asset library, which means you're able to manage all of your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. You can also easily sell custom merch. That's how I got started. And create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. When I first got started, I remember somebody told me how important it was to have email campaigns going. And Squarespace makes this process super easy. You can drive sales and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, which means you can easily collect email subscribers on your site and build connections and repeat business through regular email updates. Squarespace has so many different features that are there to help support your growth and your business. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com bad to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that is squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com bad for 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Now let's get into the good stuff. Okay. Let's get into the iconic, the life-changing Barbie. So last week on the Patreon, I did a Barbie history episode. I just kind of did a little rundown of like the timeline of Barbie. And I did it because I, I wanted to see if I could pick up on any Easter eggs that maybe I wouldn't have known before if I didn't know, like, I don't know, just the history of Barbie. And it helped. I feel like it helped. I like knew a lot of the Barbies because I had just done all this. Like I didn't know who Skipper was or Midge or Alan or any of that. And like doing some research on it really helped. Or also like the creator of Barbie. Anyway, I feel like we got to start out by talking about Greta Gerwig, who directed this movie. She directed Lady Bird. She did Little Women. And then what was the other one that she did? Nights and Weekends is what it's called. Never seen it. But those are the only four movies that she has directed. She's also an actress. Also, her long-term partner is Noah Baumbach, who is uh, who did Marriage Story. Well, he's done other stuff, but for some reason, Marriage Story is the one that uh, comes to mind. 
Anyway, Greta Gerwig, I feel like in all of her movies, a common theme she really touches on is the mother-daughter relationship. I can't speak for Nights and Weekends again because I've never seen that. But as far as Lady Bird and Little Women and Barbie go, like she really understands the complexities of the mother-daughter relationship. My mom and I have talked about this on episodes that she's been on. And I mean, we talk about this all the time. I talk about it with my friends who have daughters, friends who have good relationships with their moms, friends who have strained relationships with their moms, friends who were raised by stepmoms, friends who were raised by their friends' mom. Like there's just, there's so many different iterations of the mother-daughter relationship, but it really is like one of the hardest and most rewarding and like most brutal relationships of life. And it's just, I mean, this whole time we talk about Barbie, I'm going to say this a lot, but it's just something that men can't quite understand. And that's fine. It's fine. That's not their experience in the world. But like I have all brothers and like they just they don't understand the dynamic between me and my mom. And I feel like now that they're married, maybe they understand it a little bit more because they see it from their wife's perspective. But again, I feel like it is a common theme, theme with most of the women that I know in my life that their relationship with their mom is whether it's great or horrible, it's complex in a lot of ways. And Greta Gerwig, Obviously, the whole movie of Lady Bird is like all about that. It's all about this relationship with a mom in Little Women. I mean, it's less about that. But obviously, Marmee is a huge character in the book and in the movie. And her relationship with her girls is is profound and it matters a lot to the story. And so anyway, that obviously comes up huge in Barbie. And I knew it was going to and I should have prepared myself more. But wow, there's just yeah, we're going to talk about the the quote that we're all thinking of at the very end. So not only is the director amazing, the cast is amazing. I love Margot Robbie. She's never steered me wrong. I like everything that she's in. My favorite role of hers, About Time. Not to not to brag that I'm an OG Margot Robbie fan, but I love her in About Time. I don't know if that's my favorite. I just wanted an excuse to talk about About Time. But uh, And then Ryan Gosling. When Ryan Gosling was cast, I was like, come on, for Ken? Like, Ryan Gosling? Like, I thought they should have cast the guy from uh, uh, Top Gun, Maverick. Glenn Powell, he looks like Ken. He looks like he's made of plastic and rubber. But anyway, first of all, I think Ryan Gosling is really funny. Very underrated comedic actor. I really, really like him in that in that regard. But what I thought was very interesting is that they cast him and he's kind of like on his way. I don't want to even say on his way out because, I mean, he's not really ever going to not be like a handsome actor because men stay handsome forever. Have you guys seen that? It's an inside. I don't normally watch inside Amy Schumer. I like Amy Schumer. Like, I feel like people don't like her, but I really like her. I liked her as an Oscars host a couple years ago. I thought she was great. Anyway, there's an inside Amy Schumer skit with it's Tina Fey and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Patricia Arquette. And Amy Schumer like stumbles upon them. They're like having a tea party. And she's like, what are you guys celebrating? And they're like, oh, we're celebrating her last. I won't say it. F-U-C-K a bull day because she's no longer effable after today. And she was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, when actresses reach a certain age, you're no longer effable. And Amy's like, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know when you reach that point? And they're like, well, nobody really tells you. You just like kind of get the signs like you just pick up on it. Like you're either cast as like Jack Nicholson's love interest or like somebody's mom or like all your scenes take place in a kitchen. <laughs> like that's how you know that you're no longer effable to Hollywood and then she goes well when do men hit that point and they all start laughing they're like no no men never have that men never have that they can be like 98 and we're literally seeing that play out right now Robert De Niro and Al Pacino both just had kids and they're well into their 80s 
it actually should be illegal. Just by the way, that should be illegal for them to father children that old. But anyway, it's a very, it's a very funny sketch. And I feel like it, it, it plays into all of this, but I just think it's interesting because Ryan Gosling was cast and then everybody was like, why is he cast as Ryan Gosling? He's too old. Or why is he being cast as Ken? He's way too old. He's like out of his heart, heartthrob era. And it was like this little taste of like what basically most women in Hollywood deal with, like being told that they're too old for a part or whatever. I just thought it was interesting that in this movie about role reversal, that even in the real world, there were a lot of things being reversed, like Ryan Gosling being the one who was told he was too old for the, the part. But I thought that he was great. Margot was perfect. Kate McKinnon was perfect. I love seeing Kate McKinnon in things. I don't know. I feel like she should be in more. Why is she not in more? Maybe it's a personal decision, but I just think everything that she's in is amazing. And I did see in one of the press interviews that Margot pointed out that her and Kate had both worked on Bombshell. And there's a scene in it where Margot Robbie gets like a makeover and she walks out and then Kate McKinnon sees her and she's like, wow, it's Anchor Barbie. And I just thought that that was a funny little, funny little Easter egg. But I also thought that there would be more Issa Rae in the movie because she's in like all of the press interviews and she's like, I feel like I've been seeing her face a lot in promotion of this movie. She wasn't actually in it that much, but America Ferreira was in it a lot. <laughs> I thought she would be a very minor character and she was actually a pretty major character. And I love seeing America Ferreira. I feel like she, I don't know if they purposely did it, but I definitely feel like America Ferreira is one of those actresses that we grew up with in a lot of ways because we saw her in Sister of the Traveling Pants. We saw her in Disney Channel original movies. Uh, she was in, oh, I want to say Jane the Virgin. Nope. She's in Ugly Betty. Like, I just feel like she's kind of grown up with us. So I like that they cast her a lot, but I, I just think that the, the cast was great. And so let's talk about the aesthetic of the movie. And as I'm saying the word aesthetic, I want to point out something that I hate the word aesthetic is not used entirely properly. I honestly, as I'm saying that, maybe I say it wrong, but I feel like people will say like, oh, that's so aesthetic. And as far as far as I understand it, the word aesthetic means like visual. So you have to say, you have to add something else into it, like the aesthetic of that, or it has a nice aesthetic. Like, you can't just say, oh, that's super aesthetic. Like, I feel like that's not correct. I, I don't know. That was how I learned the word. But when people say that, like, oh, it's not very aesthetic. No, you should say it's not very aesthetically pleasing or I don't like the aesthetic of it. Okay, now I'm saying the word too much and it doesn't sound like a real world word. But let's talk about the A, a word of um, of the Barbie movie. I feel like they just captured the whimsy of Barbie really well. I mean, that whole opening montage where she's, you know, going through her morning routine and she's showering and there's no water and she's, you know, she's got the hairbrush that is three times the size of her arm, which is the brush that we all got with our Barbies. I just thought it was so, it was executed so well. And even in like the little details of like, even when she's throwing the clothes out of the house and it's like pausing and then there's like a title over it, like, you know, uh, like the, <laughs> I don't even know what it is, the Paisley flare pants or whatever. Cause that's how the commercials were when we were growing up is that, you know, it show all of the clothes and they would pop up like that. So I just think like the whimsy kind of plastic, super fake, like at first I was like, why didn't they make it more, uh, real? <laughs> like, why didn't they make it so not obviously CGI? But then I was thinking about it. I was like, we were playing with paper backgrounds and like plastic cars. Like I like that it looks kind of fake. They just really nailed like how it felt to play with Barbies growing up. And obviously in Barbie land, the Barbies run 
every job, every possible thing. They are the doctors and the lawyers and the Supreme Court and the garbage people and the president and they do everything. And I feel like that's probably how all of our Barbie collections were growing up. We all had like one Ken doll. I didn't know anybody who had a Ken for every Barbie. Like that was not the norm. So it was very familiar in that sense. And then we kind of get into the storyline, which is, you know, Margot Robbie is having these existential thoughts of dread. I got to say throughout the movie, like I, the storyline and like the, (laughs) I don't want to say logic of it, but it was like a little bit kind of maybe rushed or it, I think it was of secondary importance in the movie, honestly, because, you know, she's having these existential thoughts. She goes to weird Barbie, weird Barbie says she has to go to the real world. So she goes to the real world and it, I don't know why I said world like that. That was a hard word to say real world. And then she gets caught because there's a real Barbie in the, or there's a fake Barbie in real life. And they don't really go over like the logistics of that, like how that happened or like if that's normal or like, why does everybody just know that it's their Barbie? I don't know. But again, I think it is of secondary importance to the point of the movie. It's just, it was my one thing that I was like, but how did that happen? How do they know that she's a real Barbie? Even when she like goes up to the little kid at sc- or the little girl, I think Sasha is her name. And she's like, I'm your Barbie. And Sasha's just like, okay, well, and she like is like, yeah, you're my Barbie and now I'm going to be mad at you. So whatever. Again, not that important. But however, there was something kind of satisfying about this like Toy Story-esque thing they had going on, which was like the toys that we play with like absorb parts of us and they are actually there for us and they love us and they know us and they remember our childhood and they want to take care of us because as creepy as it may sound like it's kind of true like a lot of us remember exact dolls and toys and stuffed animals that we had growing up and so it is like I just I liked kind of that feeling of like oh these dolls that we buy for us like have this personal connection to us I liked it again it might be a little bit creepy also Barbie is in Toy Story so maybe this is the same Barbie maybe this all happens in the same universe maybe Barbie gets out and you know moves to Barbie land but that first scene with Ken and Barbie rollerblading into the real world why can I not say that real world when Ken is realizing that everybody is looking at him and everybody is respecting him and noticing him and gawking at him in a positive way and Barbie is realizing that she is being laughed at and she is no longer feeling safe when she says like, yeah, mine definitely has an undertone of violence. Like that scene, that line even is so, I don't even want to say triggering. It's just so familiar to, you know, walk past a group of construction guys or just a group of guys or just a guy, you know, on the street and feel that fear and feel like you're in danger. Like it's just that's not something that men have to think about when they're walking alone on the street. It is something that women have to think about. And I, I just, I can't stand when I see feedback about this movie, when people are like, well, you know, when guys are like, well, that doesn't happen to women or that doesn't. Okay. Just cause it doesn't happen to you or just cause somebody, a woman that you know, hasn't experienced that does not mean that it's never happened. Like, can we employ some empathy here or just some common sense to be able to say, Oh, just because that didn't happen to me doesn't mean that it's never happened to anybody. Or like, I hate when people are like, well, it happens to guys too. Okay, sure. Yeah, of course. Violence is employed against men for sure. But there is a reason that 98% of sexual assaulters are men and 90% of murderers are men and 90% of domestic abusers are men. Does that mean that it's never happened to a man? Obviously not. There's that that 10% for a reason but it doesn't happen as often. You are not in as much danger as a man as you are as a woman. Like, uh, like 
that's just it's factual and please don't be the person that sees facts and is like you know what I'm just gonna not acknowledge that like don't be the person that says well it happens to men and women equally no it doesn't otherwise the statistics would reflect that so just don't be an idiot when it comes to this okay so we see Ken start to discover the patriarchy, patriarchy which he is going to take back to Barbie land and really implement hard. And I get it. Ken has been in second place his whole life. It probably feels very good to enter a world where there are systems in place that make his life a lot easier and make it so that he is number one and make it so that women do look at him and do admire him and do do the things that he says and not, to, not have to be in second place. I get it, Ken. I'm wanting the same thing. I think the best part of this like humany or like first human experience is the part where she's on the bench with this old woman. The old woman being Anne Roth, who I looked up and was a costume designer. But Barbie's looking at her and she says, you're so beautiful. And this old woman goes, I know it. And I think that that was another thing to point out in Barbie land, because at the beginning, they're all like receiving awards and they're doing Nobel Peace Prize and all these things. And all of the Barbie's speeches are accepting every compliment. They say, Barbie, you deserve this. And Barbie goes, I know. I worked so hard. I do deserve this. And I thought it was interesting that like when they say that, even when when I say it or when I think like when I was watching it, it was like uncomfortable to watch somebody say that, to watch somebody say like, I know I'm so pretty. I know I look beautiful. I feel beautiful. I'm so good at this. I deserve this because I worked really hard. Like, it's so ingrained in me to be self-deprecating and to be like overly modest and to, to tell people that I don't deserve things or I'm not pretty, you know, like all those things, they're in all of us because that's what's acceptable as a woman. So to hear the Barbies say stuff like that, it was like, it pointed out to me where I still need to like dig in a little bit and figure myself out. And when I was talking to my friends about what part affected them the most or what stuck with them, everybody had a different answer because this whole movie points out things that women do. And I feel like depending on your experiences in your life or your career or in your relationships, different parts of the movie affected us differently. And that was one that I like, I mean, I really, I really struggle with that personally. Like I really struggle with not being overly self-deprecating to the point of where, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but it's like at one point in my 20, I mean, I'm still in my twenties technically, but like my early twenties, I was like, do I even have a personality? Because whoever I'm around, I just want to agree with them. I want to validate them. I want to put myself down. I want to make sure that I don't sound as smart and I don't sound like I'm trying to one up them. Like I'm just going to let them be right. And I still do it occasionally. Like I, I will have a different opinion from somebody, but they will say something and I'll be like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Just because I don't want it to come across. Like I think that I'm better or I know more or something. And it's just, it's this inner like self-deprecation thing. I think I, I, I do it more than I wish I did, but I just, I am okay with, I'm very okay with being wrong. And I think that that's good, but I do it almost to the point of where being right is uncomfortable. And I don't push it when I think I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I argue I am, I am not perfect in this, but just like in a lot of conversations and in a lot of relationships, I just, I want the other person to be right because I don't want there to be tension. And then I don't end up talking about what I really believe or whatever it is. So yeah, when the old woman says that on the bench, when she says, yeah, I know it, I know that I'm beautiful. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people were probably like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, damn, damn lady, like cool it. But I think it was, it was poignant because this old woman, I, I hear it all the time. I talk to my grandmothers. I know that other people have talked to their own grandmas 
where they say, why did I care so much about those things? Why didn't I believe that I was beautiful? Why didn't I believe that I was enough? Why didn't I believe that I was thin enough? Whatever, whatever it might be. Every old woman says the same thing. Like, I just, I wish I would have spent less time obsessing over those things. And that was like, that was for sure the first part that I cried because Barbie starts to tear up and she starts to realize how uncomfortable the world is when it's not being run by Barbies and when men and horses are, you know, in charge. So then we meet Sasha, who's the little girl who she thinks she's her Barbie. And Barbie receives the devastating news that she has not done as much good as she thought in the real world. And she thought that she was teaching women and young girls that they can be anything, they can do anything. But really, she has negatively affected a lot of people with her unrealistic standards of body and career and personality. So she starts crying and then the Mattel guys come and get her. And I think that the Mattel scene was really funny and I like Will Ferrell in it and I like the boardroom of men and the speech that Will Ferrell gives where he's like, no, women are a part of this. Like I am, you know, the son of a mother. I'm the nephew of a woman aunt. Like, because that is, it's a little bit dramatized, of course, but it is something that a lot of men say. They'll be like, oh, well, I have a sister. So of course I'm a feminist or I have a wife and a daughter. So of course I understand the female experience. Like what difference does it make? It makes a difference if there's women in the room. Okay. Like you knowing women or being close to women is not the same as letting a woman be in charge of something or letting a woman have a voice in the boardroom, you know? So then she gets away from Mattel. She's running away and she enters this room and it's this quaint little kitchen with this old woman. And now because I had done my research, because I had known who Ruth was, I knew that that was Ruth that she was meeting. And I just I love this little scene. It's she doesn't really know who Ruth is at the time, but she's just in this kitchen and she's just having a cup of tea. And it's just like this sweet, tender, feminine moment. And I've had a lot of times in my life where I'll be somewhere and I'll be in a big group of people or I'll be in a big city or something and I will just have like a nice little moment with a friend. Like I think about big parties that I've been to and then me and a friend will like go off to a corner and like kind of giggle and chat about what's going on. And I just felt like it was kind of one of those moments where there was like all this chaos, but then she found this woman that she connected with and it was kind of this reprieve from the 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 masculine energy. So we will meet Ruth again, but I just, I like that little run in with her. And, um, then Barbie leaves and America Ferreira comes into play, which who knew she was going to be such a main character. Turns out America Ferreira is actually the owner of this Barbie. And she's the reason that she's falling apart because that's who the, that's who Barbie is tied to. And America Ferreira is depressed and she's going through all these things and it is now being put onto Barbie. And that is what's making Barbie malfunction. And you know, that's why she's in the real world. So they, she takes her to Barbie land. Sorry, I'm kind of recapping just because I want to keep track of my notes and where I am in the movie. And they go back to Barbie land because she wants to show her like how great it is and everything that they've accomplished. And unfortunately, Ken learned about the patriarchy and horses and it has infiltrated Barbie land. And this is where all the haters and all of the Ben Shapiro's of the world will say the man hating comes into play because they make men look stupid and they make men look like bigots and they make men look like buffoons. I don't know. When I saw the patriarchy take over Barbie land, there were far too many familiar things uh, for me to say that it is too th theatric. Obviously, there are dramatized versions of things. OK, I don't think that every woman in my life feels the need to serve beer to every guy in their life on a silver platter at every moment of the day. Obviously not. But 
there are certain things that I was like, that's too spot on. It's just a little bit too spot on. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know men who would wear that outfit with the fur coat and the Adidas with the tongue out and the skinny jeans. Like, I know people who would wear that and actually think it was very, very cool. I know a lot of guys who lived with male roommates who named their house something stupid. When I was in college, if there was a group of guys living in a house, I knew for 100% fact they had named their house. Like there was absolutely no doubt about it. How about when you ask Barbie to be his low commitment girlfriend? There are so many men who secretly hope that they will find a girl who will want no commitment, no emotions, who will show up when he wants, who will be there for sex, who will be there for making him food, but who will not want to be an active participant in a relationship. That is just common. Seen it a million times, been a part of it a million times. There were just a lot of things that were obviously kind of goofy about it, but were really kind of spot on about how it feels to live in a world that is run entirely by men. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'll cry if I don't laugh. But Barbie goes back to real Barbie. And this is where the real humanness of Barbie sets in when she's realizing how utterly defeated she feels and how ugly she feels and useless she feels. And again, like, does every woman feel this way all the time? No, I don't. I don't think that everybody feels that way all the time. Is it, again, an incredibly familiar feeling and one that is really painful to grapple with? Like the night before I saw Barbie, I just I had had a really hard day. There were some emotional things that happened and I was laying in bed and I I was just thinking, like, I feel really alone in like my experience of the world. Like, I feel like nobody understands this, like, complex feeling that I have feelings that I have, like, I feel the need to take care of everybody around me and please everybody around me. But I also feel this need to be my own person and be independent. But I feel like if I am that way, then the people who I'm supposed to take care of won't feel as taken care of because it's my job to be this certain way so that they feel taken care of. And like, I just, I was going, I was going crazy and I was like crying. It was in the middle of the night and I was just thinking about that. And then I saw Barbie the very next day and it like really made me feel empathized with because you do just have that feeling when you realize how kind of helpless this fight is in trying to make women more seen and more understood and more empathized with and more in charge and in more positions of power. And even in your own life, when you feel defeated and you're just like, and and Barbie says this and she's like, I don't think I'm good enough for anything. And it's like, it was so powerful. And it's like, so depressing. But I feel like so many women heard that and just felt it to their core because it's really a common feeling. So this is where we get the America Ferrera speech, which eventually, you know, breaks the spell of the patriarchy that everybody's under. So I'm going to read it because it's really good. I put it on my Instagram story. She said, being a woman is impossible. Uh, You have to be thin, but not too thin. You can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but you also have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're so supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You never, you can, you have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show off or show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. 
And this is one of those times in the movie. And then I, there's more, there's a little bit more to it about being a doll. And if a doll can't do it, and she ends with, I, I am so tired of watching myself and every single woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And this, this is one of those speeches that I feel like the men who hate this movie and the men who hate Barbie and think that this is a man hating movie, they will hear the speech and they will say, well, it can't be that bad. I don't do that to women. I don't expect that of women. I've never seen that happen. And I go back to that skit, that Amy Schumer skit, where she says, well, how do you know when it's your last day? And they said, well, no one really outright tells you, but you pick up on it and you get the clues and you understand what people are saying and you understand. And that that's kind of what I think about when I hear this, because has anybody ever come up to me and said any of these things? You need to be thin. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids. You're supposed to stay pretty, but not too pretty. Be a career woman, but take care of everybody. No, it's never outright told to you. It's in all these little messages. It's in all of the little things that we see as kids, that we see our moms do, that we see the men in our lives do. We just kind of pick up on what we're supposed to do and what upsets people and what keeps people happy and what we and like. I feel like I learned it by doing things and then feeling praise from people. And I thought, okay, that's good. That's good for me to feel that way. You know, if I've lost weight and somebody compliments me, I think, okay, thin, good. Losing weight, good. This is how, this is what I'm supposed to do. But then if you talk about it, then people are put off and they say things. So yeah, nobody outright tells you, of course, but it is everywhere all of the time. And I think that this this particular line is really interesting and we should talk about it when she says, you have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're conf- you're accused of complaining. And I think about uh, the Julia Fox thing that happened with Kanye West. So she, so she, Julia Fox started dating Kanye right after his divorce with Kim, and people came at her for things that he did. Like, I, I, again, I'm just quoting this, but how insane is that? How insane is that? That we are now, not only are we responsible for our own actions and things that we have to do, but now every man that we've ever talked to that we associate with, if they have made a mistake, it is on us and it is on us to correct it, to correct their behavior. Like, so we're supposed to have no power basically ever in the real world, but then we're supposed to have all of the power when it comes to correcting other people's mistakes and fixing everything. That's where we like it's it is very contradictory and unfortunately I don't feel like I don't know I was trying to think of how to phrase this because I never wanted to come across like I'm saying like oh women are you know worse than men or meaner than men or whatever because that's not really what I'm trying to say but I feel like a lot of times men hate women because you know there's that quote that Sasha says she says men hate women and women hate women it's like the one thing we have in common and I think that men tend to hate women more passively. And I think that is it is more ingrained in them to just look down upon women and to not see their worth and to not be an active participant in healing that. It's just kind of in them. I think, at least in my experience, when I have felt like a woman has been mean to me, I felt like it was it was more intentional. And it like makes me emotional because it's just it's so painful. And it's like, why are we making this harder on each other? But we all have done it on one point or another, but it just feels like women hate women too. And maybe a good chunk of it comes from wanting to appease men in our life and wanting to agree with them and feeling like they're in charge and their opinions are more valid. So we kind of, you know, hang on to those. And a lot of times they're not very supportive of women. So if we're going to make the men in our life happy with us, then we also can't be super supportive of women. But it's just, it's really hard because also I work a job that, you know, this podcast that 
basically the only way it has success is if people like me. Like that's the only way. And so I spend a lot of my time trying to figure out how to appeal to people and how to make people like me. And I get a lot of guys who don't like me, you know, who don't like the podcast, who think it's stupid, who thinks I hate men, you know, all of that stuff. But I get a lot of women who hate me. I mean, hate me. Like, and I, it, it's really disorienting because it's like, you, you, and again, I, I'm sure that there are people that I've consumed their content that I hate and that are women. And I have some sort of internalized misogyny against them. And of course, I'm not saying that I have been perfect at this, but it just, it's disheartening and scary when you're like, oh yeah, that is actually true. Like men hate me and women probably hate me too. And it's just kind of a losing battle. And like she says, the system's rigged, but you can't acknowledge that because you need to be grateful. You need to be grateful that you have all of these things, that you have the opportunities that you do. When people bring that up, when they're like, well, it's better for women now than it used to be. Okay, great. That's great that it's getting better. It should keep getting better. It's not there yet. Like just because we have the right to vote doesn't mean that we are represented in every single political place. Like it's just, it's not realistic to say, well, just because it's getting better, means that you should not complain. Like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So at this point in the movie, they are breaking the spell or trying to get Barbie land back. They're trying to, you know, dismantle the patriarchy. And I understand that in the real world, dismantling patriarchy is really uncomfortable. And like what we were talking about earlier with Ryan or with Ken figuring out the patriarchy and being like, I could get used to this. Like, yeah, this is great. Like, of course, the patriarchy is a very comfortable place for men. Like it is it uh, if we were living in a matriarchy, I would understand that I would understand that it would take a lot to get me out of that. But the thing with Barbie is that the matriarchy didn't put men in a bad position. They were not being taken advantage of. They were not being put down. They were not being objectified. They just played a lesser role. They just weren't the most important person in the room. Like that's that's what it is. And I feel like people looked at the matriarchy and Barbie and they were like, well, they just hate men. No, men are happy. Look what men are doing. They're doing everything that they want to do. Women are just also doing everything that they want to do. But when the patriarchy came into play, Barbies were not doing what they wanted to do. They had to be brainwashed in order to do what they wanted. Nobody was working jobs that they loved. Nobody was writing books that they loved. They were all doing things for Ken. It wasn't like that when Barbie was in charge. Ken wasn't doing things for Barbie. He was just supposed to do beach. So anyway, they're in the process of breaking the the brainwashing that all the Barbies are under because they're all in servitude to Ken and America for I can't remember her character's name, but she's talking or she's doing Barbie's makeup and she's talk, they're talking about how they're going to go get the dream house back because Ken took the dream house and set up the Mojo Dojo Casa house there. And Barbie says, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to make him sad. And she goes, Barbie, he took your house. He, he took your house. He took Barbie land. Like they ruined everything. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to hurt his feelings? And ouch, because how many times have one of us been wronged? And instead of telling the truth and sticking up for ourselves, we just decide, well, we don't want to hurt their feelings and we don't want them to have to deal with people thinking bad things about them. So you know what? I will just take the high road and say the nice stuff and not say the truth and make sure that everything is okay and that people like me. Because that's the thing. If you do something that could hurt somebody's feelings, like with Bar, I'm going to use Barbie and Ken in this, this example. If Barbie hurts Ken's feelings, not only does she risk Ken not liking her, she risks a lot of people seeing her actions and thinking, well, she shouldn't have done that. She should have taken the high road. She should have been nicer. She should have thought about his feelings. I don't like her. Or 
she would have told the truth and people would have said, well, she's playing the victim or she's making it up. That is like the most common female experience. I think I've said that a couple of times throughout this episode, but this one rings very true to me. I just think that a lot of times we put other people in front of ourselves and they also put themselves in front of us, which is not great because then who is putting us first? It's nobody. That's the answer. So I just am here to tell you again, I'm not here to tell you that I do this perfectly. I'm here to remind all of us that sometimes it's okay to stick up for yourself and say the truth of what happened, even if it makes somebody else look bad, even if it's unflattering. And you know what? There's going to be people who don't like you for it. There's going to be people who don't believe you. It's like the number one thing I talk about in therapy is like, I'm always like, but what am I going to do if they don't like me? What am I going to do if I don't please this stranger on the internet? And my therapist is always like, what are you talking? Who is it? What are you talking about? Who cares? You don't even know them. She actually had me make a list of the people whose opinions I care about. And uh, those are the people that I need to make sure are happy. And, you know, people hating me on the Internet didn't make the list. (laughs) Uh, But before I started going to therapy, they were on the list and I let it affect me greatly. And I used to keep things to myself and not talk about things because I was afraid that the void would the void of the Internet would hate me. And they might just hate me. They might just keep hating me because that's their own stuff that they're dealing with. And I'm getting better at it. Not there yet, but I'm still getting better at it. So yeah, then they, you know, they take back Barbie land, they get everything back in, back in order. And then the last scene, <laughs> the scene, I'm laughing because it's like, it's so emotional, but Barbie again meets Ruth because Barbie isn't sure what she wants to do. They get Barbie land back. She's not sure if she wants to go back to the real world or if she wants to go back to Barbie land or what her purpose is anymore. And Ruth shows up and Ruth says, isn't, isn't this what Barbie's for? Barbie is supposed to change. Barbie is supposed to be whatever she wants. And as, as somebody who has struggled with their relationship with their creator, (laughs) man, I did not think that this is what Barbie was going to be about. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty profound when you think about it, that Barbie's creator is looking at her and saying, you can be whatever you want to be. It's why I made you. I didn't make you to be one thing. I didn't make you to be what I want you to be. I made you to be everything. So just be whatever you want to be. If you want to go back to the human world, if you want to stay in Barbie land, if you want to do both, if you want to create, if you want to absorb, whatever you want to do, you can just do either either thing. You can do whatever. And that was, I mean, that's like all women really want, right? It's just permission to be whatever they want and the ability to be whatever they want. And then we get the montage. And the montage, I think, was the most emotional part for a lot of people. So Ruth is trying to explain to her what it's like to be a woman and the montage of all of these women come in. And I believe it's a bunch of people who worked on the movie or their families and home videos and things like that. And we see this this whole montage of of just female joy and childhood and memories and all these things. And it is like, it's really overwhelming because really it's such a beautiful experience. I love the ability to connect that women have. I, I love my friends. I love my sisters-in-law, my mom, like the women who I've been able to connect with and who know me deeply. And you know, I am also straight. So I am in romantic relationships with men. And of course, that is a very fulfilling part of life. And I love my relationships in that regard. I love my relationships with my brothers and my dad and all that. But it is just it is a different type of connection with women. And I'm glad to have both. And my mom has always said it that like, everybody needs a woman in their life, you know, whatever that looks like, like everybody needs to know what it's like to be connected to a woman. And that sounded kind of medical. (laughs) sounded kind of umbilical cordy but yeah it's just it's a really beautiful experience and I thought that how they ended it was so perfect because Barbie chooses to go to the real world and then the first thing she does is she goes to the gynecologist it's like of course that's like the thing that she does like of course that's something that she has to do when she becomes a human and I don't know I just I like that little that little ending and I just thought I thought 
thought the whole movie was amazing. I feel like it made me better. I feel like it made me more aware of things I need to work on. It made me more aware of the type of woman I want to be, like how I want to stick up for myself and how I want to stick up for women around me and how I want to be able to perceive the world. And I just liked it. I liked it a lot. Changed my life. Oppenheimer was great. It didn't change my life. Barbie changed me fundamentally. So yeah, I'll open up a question box on my Instagram. I would love to hear what you guys think. I'd love to talk about it. Like I just, I just feel like there's, there's so much to talk about so much to get through. I, I don't even feel like I touch, I feel like I could do four more episodes about just Barbie, but, um, these are my, my initial thoughts and feelings and all of that. And I hope you guys know that I love, I love my job and I, I do love the support that I get from you guys. And I didn't mean to sound negative when I was saying that, you know, my job is based on people liking me because I do love this and I am very grateful that I get to connect with so many women all of the time. And it's just, I feel lucky. So thank you guys for being here and listening to me ramble about, you know, things that are important to me, but also things that are just kind of funny. So I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, hop on Patreon for bonus content. And remember, always be safe, be kind and be hot. Love you so much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind-the-scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.